Today we're going to talk about discipleship, and I'd like to just go ahead and dig right in with our first verse in Luke 9, in its its verses uh, 23 through 24. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. How many people in our society like giving stuff up? You work hard to get where you're at, don't you? You work hard to have the things you have. Giving up your own way and submitting to somebody else's way sounds a little scary. Um, Sounds like, well, what if way I don't like their way? I think that's always our biggest fear. Uh, That's one of the things... For years, and I grew up in church, so I've heard this for years. Is one of the things you know about God calling you. Everybody's afraid they're going to be called in some ministry they don't like. Did y'all ever have that fear as a kid? It was always, well, you know what? You can be a missionary in Zimbabwe, and I'm thinking, oh, good Lord, no! <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to go somewhere that doesn't have color TV and air conditioning. God, please don't call me there. Did any of y'all hear that growing up though? But you know what? I have friends. Acquaintances, we've had people that were very close to Karen's family that were missionaries their entire life, and they would not trade that for anything we have. And God calls and equips you to where you need to be as his disciple. And that's one of the things I think as a church we've missed. We, we're not trying to fit naturally where we need to go, but we have to give up our own way. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your identity in this. And that's going to be a very important piece of this message today is how we can use our identity and who we are to become disciples and to disciple others. But simply, discipleship means putting God first above our own feelings and desires. Okay? How many people, Karen and I actually talked about this this morning, this would have been a really good pajama day to watch church on TV. However, we would have had to move all the equipment to my couch at home for us to be online, so that wasn't going to work. So we had to come. You feel like that sometimes. Church is a good thing. We enjoy coming. But there's times you have to just take a step back and say, this is what God would want me to do, and I need to put this ahead of what I would want to do. And it can be simple things or it can be big things, you know. You know, putting God first. You put him first in your family. You put him first in your finances. You know, there's all kinds of aspects when we start inviting God into our life that he likes to meddle with. You know, he gets in there and if we really start obeying what God wants us to do, he starts molding our life in different directions that we normally wouldn't take. And that's what this all means to be a disciple is to put God's desires above our own, what God would have us to do. What do we usually close a prayer with in jesus name amen we often pray god if it's your will you know what that's what discipleship starts to do god's will and our will start to merge we start wanting the same things we start giving away and say oh my natural self would do this but god would have me do that. i'd rather do what god would have me do and we start doing that But to get there, we have got to do some things differently as individuals, as a church. We've got to get beyond something. And as I was putting this message together, I I ran across this passage. And um, you'll see throughout here, I usually use the uh, ESV version, but I did the uh, New Living Translation for the plainness of it today. And part of it was due to reading this verse and how it struck me of what it said and how many times I have struggled with this. 
I have struggled with teaching because of this. And here's what it says. This is Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 from the New Living Translation. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Now, those of you that have been in church, have you heard lots of messages about baptism? Lots of messages about healing, lots of messages about what happens when you die, lots of messages about eternal judgment. How many times do we need to hear that over and over before we get it and we move on? It's a very difficult thing. And in a Sunday morning church setting, and this is, I want you to be sure and hear this plainly, is we try and teach to multiple levels of our congregation. We have guests that may have no idea who Jesus is. We have members here that have been pastors. So we have this wide scale of diverse knowledge about the Bible and about following Christ. So we kind of have to cover all those bases. So those of you that are more spiritually mature may not get everything you need on a Sunday morning. You may need to start looking outside of Sunday morning, and that's part of the maturing process because you don't need to hear the basic teachings over and over. Yes, they're great teachings, but once you've accepted Christ and you start growing, there's some things that you should put in your basics that you already know. How many of you have to go go back and be taught what 2 plus 2 is every week? Most of us can remember some masculines. Now, if we get into trig and calculus, you're going to have to refresh my memory. I don't remember all that. But I remember the basics. And I don't go back and have to be taught that every week and have to learn that. I need to be learning stuff beyond the basics to further mature myself in my career as a, as a leader of a family, as a leader in a church. I have to go beyond the basics. And that's what this verse is encouraging us to do is say, hey, you've been saved. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You've said you want to follow him, so let's move on. Let's get to doing some things. Let's get beyond this basic thing that we all, all should already know and move beyond that and start looking at some deeper things in Scripture, some deeper relationships, and start moving beyond that. Because what happens is one of the things I saw in this was to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds. Repentance is a big part of this as well. And repentance doesn't mean to keep doing the same things and asking for forgiveness over and over. As a disciple of Christ, we need to turn to a path that is based on the foundational teachings of Christ and produces spiritual growth. You know, you're not really repenting if you go back and do the same sin over and over and ask God to forgive you. You're not moving forward. You're not turning to a new path. Much of this is about a path of discipleship and turning from the path that you're on that you may be very comfortable with onto a new path that may be slightly scary and outside your comfort zone. But don't keep going back and saying, well, God, I know you, you say I should do this and I didn't do this again and again and again. Once you know it, apply it to your heart and move forward. And I think that's one of the traps that our enemy Satan does. I think he traps us into this thing that, well, we know it. And if we don't ask forgiveness every single time we mess up, you know, and, and we're just not worthy of being any better. We, we really can't be disciples because we keep messing up. And I think that's a trap that Satan uses because we don't try and put it behind us. 
we, we go back, we dwell on it, then we do it again, and we just don't ever move forward. We're kind of stuck in that. And so we have to keep being reminded of the basics and the things that we need to do. And that's where Satan gets us stuck as a group as a church, as a, as a community of believers, where we don't move forward and do the things we need to do. But you have to build some sort of foundation. And that, that spiritual foundation brings forth growth. When you build a good foundation, you can grow on that. And when you grow, you become more mature in your faith. So you've got to have that good foundation and you've got to grow on it, and you've got to become more mature. And that's what discipleship is. It's just a it's just a learning process. It's a lifelong learning process where we go and we try to become more mature Christians. Maturity simply means the quality of behaving mentally and emotionally like an adult. Okay, I may fail that one, okay? <laughs> I might struggle with that one a bit. I like to have a good time. I like to kid around. You know, now... There are things, that's not what this means, though. This means the values, the way you live your life, the things that that guide you. You need to become mentally and emotionally more like an adult. And we should no longer be baby Christians. You know, you look through the scriptures, and it is full of messages about baby Christians and how you were when you started as a Christian and how you should be now as a more mature Christian and not to be a baby. Um 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. That kind of applies to what I was talking about a minute ago about those basics. Over over there in Kidmo, we're teaching basics. Okay, We're trying to get the basic fundamentals, foundations of faith sewn into children so they can use it their entire life. And as they grow, they will have that to build on, to lean on, and to know about. But we can't keep teaching that to adults and it be effective because as you mature, you have different responsibilities, different life experiences. You're no longer a child and have the experiences of a child. How many of you enjoyed your childhood so much you go back to your childhood if you could? There's a lot of people that had a really great childhood and loved it and would like to how many of you would like to have less responsibility? Yeah, yeah. They, when I put it that way, the number of hands really changes. That less responsibility sounds good. You don't have to figure out. The term for it we use today is called adulting. I don't want to adult all the time because it's hard. There's things you have to do. But we need to put away those things that we did as a child. Uh, too many of us are taking baby step, steps when we should be making leaps of faith. We're take, why do you take baby steps? Why do you think, what, what are baby steps? Surely some parents, baby steps, come on. You've had babies, right? You know where babies come from, you know the whole deal. You've got little kids that come up. Learning how to take a step. Right, right, Mark's got it. Now, if you're learning how to take a step, are you going to go and just start running and walking and doing that? No, you're going to go. You're going to get your balance. You're going to figure out what you're doing. And why is that? Fear. You don't want to fall. How many want to face plant? No. Think of it today, even as an adult. If it were cold outside and icy, would you be a little more careful on those steps or would you just go running up and down them? No. You would take and you'd come. you take a little step here and a little step there and make sure you got out to your car without falling. And as Christians... We often stay in this baby stage, taking baby steps, 
Because we're afraid of what's going on around us and what happens when we change our lives, when we truly dedicate ourselves as disciples of Christ, lots of things change. Lots of things get harder. Um, Listen to this passage from 1 Thessalonians. For you are all children of light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by our armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build up each other just as you're already doing. So we are children of the light. We're not walking in darkness anymore. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are enlightened. We, I like the, um, the talk about light in our, our video and things. Nighttime is when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. I like that one. <laughs> you got two options. You need either be at home asleep or out drunk. It's kind of what it sounds like. And, um, and if you've ever been out past midnight around here, you'll, you'll see that that's true. The majority of folks out at 2 a.m. are up to no good. They're either drunk, they're out participating in something they probably shouldn't be, whereas most people are at home asleep. And that's kind of what this passage is trying to teach us here, is the, the difference in walking in the light and doing the things that we should do. But really the thing that I like best in this is in the last verse there, verse 11, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. The church in Thessalonica was already encouraging each other and building up, but the writer realizes that's a key thing. We're in this together. It's a family. We're doing things together. And we need to build each other up and encourage each other. That's one of the most important things about this. You can go and get better teaching on the Internet than anything I'm ever going to tell you here this morning. I have no problem believing that. But can you go and get the same fellowship at home as you can right here? How many of you were greeted with a smile today by somebody when you came in? How many of you got a handshake? I mean, you got a hug. Would you got that if you hadn't come? No. No. I mean, it'd be kind of weird if you walked into the restaurant this afternoon, they ran up and hugged you, wouldn't it? Well, that's, that's different. They're really friendly at this place. But you don't get that fellowship, that, that encouraging and building each other up. One of the things I learned uh, a long time ago when studying about how churches should, should be built and the things we should do, do you know what one of the most important things is? Even a handshake may be the only kind touch that someone has in a week's time. Have you ever thought of that? People are lonely. People need encouragement. That may be the only warmth they feel for another human being all week is coming to this church. And if we're not here to greet them, if we're not here to participate in that process, they may miss out. They may miss out. So that's a very important thing to do. But we take baby steps because we're afraid. We're afraid to walk boldly in the light. I mean, you're children of the light and of the day, it says. God has given us a light to follow. He's given us a path to be bold on. He wants us to get out of baby steps and start making these leaps of faith. That's much of what this this sermon series, The Way, is about. It's taking a leap of faith um, for, for marketized leaders, for other leaders in the church, for everyone that's here. We need to make a leap of faith and figure out what the de- direction is, just Mark said, for the next generation, where we need to be and what it looks like to do that. And 
when we are walking, we are to be walking in the light, clear-headed. So why would we need to be wearing armor? Did you notice that in this passage? It says we're protected by the armor of faith and wearing our helmet as the confidence of our salvation. I don't know about you, but I don't regularly walk down the street with a helmet on, do you? Does anybody do that? If we do, that's probably a TikTok sensation. I need to film it because that, that would be great. We don't normally wear a helmet, do we? Yeah, we don't walk down the street with a helmet. How many of you walk with armor on every day? We don't do that. Why? Because we don't think there's a threat out there that can harm us, right? We think we're safe. We don't need a helmet on. We don't need that sort of thing. But there is something there that we're missing. You know, what does armor do? Armor makes you less afraid, gives you an advantage over your enemy. Would anybody argue with that? If you were on a battlefield somewhere, wouldn't you rather have helmet and armor than to not have it? It's an advantage. If you've got better armor and a better helmet than your enemy, you've got an advantage. So these are things that build your confidence and stuff. So who who would we need armor against? Satan. The church lady answered it for me over here. Remember the church lady sketch? Who could it be now? Who could it be? It's Satan. Our enemy, the devil, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, the enemy of God wants to attack us. And that's the reason as we walk on this path of discipleship that we're talking about this morning, we need to be aware he's going to come at us. He doesn't like that. He wants to subdue that in any church. He doesn't want us to grow. He doesn't want more than people to, to worship his enemy God. And here's, but here's how we armor up against that. Listen to this passage from Ephesians 6. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, that's encouraging already, isn't it? Think how powerful God is and that we can be strong in his power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Well, I'm going to pause right there. We don't talk about that a lot. Um, some some people that come from a more charismatic background talk about evil spirits and the spiritual world more than we typically do. But it's very plain right here in Scripture. There is an unseen enemy out there that there are evil, listen to this, evil rulers and authorities. Do you think that's talking about the people, Russia invading Ukraine? No. Evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. I mean, we see how much evil's in the seen world. Can you imagine how much evil's in the unseen world that we're not seeing? And against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a battle going on behind the scenes that we don't see often, a battle of good and evil. Now, we know that Christ is triumphant, and he is the final winner. The final battle was won when he was crucified on the cross to die for our sins. We know that, but that doesn't keep Satan and his demons and evil spirits from coming against us and doing the right thing. That's the reason we need to put on this armor. It says, uh, going back to the middle of the passage, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So see, it tells us it's going to be a battle that we're going to have to, we're going to have to fight our way through these battles, but we'll be standing firm. It says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, 
For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's a pretty sobering passage, really, isn't it? When you think of what we're up against, and God knew it. And he inspired the writer of Ephesians to tell us, you need to be armored up. You need to make sure you know truth. You need to make sure that you're doing, you're being a peace bearer and making peace in the world. You need to realize that God is righteous and that you have faith. That faith is your shield. And that's one of the greatest things that we can do is to learn our scriptures and things and learn the lessons that are taught in the Bible. So we can put, when those arrows come out there, when the devil starts telling us you're not good enough or you can't do this or it's not worth the cost and all those things, we can put that shield up and say, no, no devil. This is is what it says here in scripture. It says this and you're wrong and I'm going to stand on what this says and put my shield up against what you're trying to convince me of. And that is always the thing. Satan is always trying to convince us not to do good and not to do the things that God would have us to. But, you know, it's, it's scary fighting an unseen enemy. I mean, it's scary enough. And I've never been on the battlefield. I've never been in battle. But I imagine that's a scary situation when people are trying to kill you. That's not a good thing. Can you imagine how much scarier it is when you can't see the enemy that's trying to trying to come against you? You know, that is that's just crazy. There are stories out of the out of the Vietnam War. I like some some history about military battles. Have anybody ever heard the tunnel rats in Vietnam? What they did? Yeah, some of you that they're of my generation and older have heard of these stories. You know, the South Vietnamese enemy would hide in tunnels, and we would send soldiers in to get them. Do you want to go crawling through a dark tunnel and waiting to make a turn and see who who you can battle as your enemy? That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. That's the most terrifying thing I can say. It's scary enough. It's scary enough being in a dark, confined place, okay? And then you got somebody on the, somewhere down here in a tunnel that you don't know, and they're trying to kill you. They're an unseen enemy. And that's what we face every day is we face that unseen enemy. And we need to know how to use these tools that God's given us. Like I said, that shield of faith in the in the in the spirit, the sword, the sword of the spirit. We need to know how to use scripture in a proper manner. Have y'all ever heard the term beating somewhere over the head beating someone over their head with a Bible? That's not what this is talking about. That's not talking about using scripture as an offensive weapon. And churches have done this. We've gone out and we have caused great harm to the cause of Christ by the way we have misused Scripture against people. We have used it in everything and way, every way out of context you can imagine to what? For our own desires, usually for some some reason, the church thinks that this is bad, and we're going to use we're going to find something in Scripture that says it. Uh, my family's too were growing up in a, a very conservative background. It was evil to have long hair and tattoos. Well, some of y'all need to get right with God this morning. I can already tell just by looking at the audience. There's some of you need to get right. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, some of you got both. If you got both, I don't know if there's any hope for you. Because we misuse Scripture. We took Scripture out of context about cutting the flesh 
which was about ritualistic pagan worship and decided a tattoo was the same thing. So mom on your shoulder is the same thing as worshiping Satan. That's what we were saying. That's craziness. But we use the word of God as a weapon. You know, long hair. I think there's several people in scripture that were revered that had long hair. We, we see that in scripture. You know, so it's, it's those type of things that have hurt our testimonies of church sometimes. So we've got to know how to properly use those tools. We've got to know how to use Scripture as a defensive weapon and as a way to diffuse situations and a way to help people see a better path in life and not to beat them over the head with it as an offensive tool. But now, the real central theme of this morning's message is how do we do all this? How do you do it? Does all that stuff come natural to all of you? Everybody's, everybody's got this all under control. I'm good. I don't worry about the unseen enemy. That's no problem. I go out and I always know what to say and how to say it. I have a pocket full of scripture just at hand and I can quote anything I need to and I can solve any situation that anybody in the world has. Are y'all all comfortable with that? Yeah, I didn't think so. I was hoping not. I was hoping I wasn't the only one that felt this way. It's a challenge. And, and we talk about this unseen world. There are dangers to walking as a disciple. Listen to these dangers. There's temptation. It's often tempting to do the thing that's easier or feels best to us, right? That's an easy one. Everybody feels it. Fear. Fear of the unknown is a biggie. You know, what's going to happen if you make that leap of faith? Where are you going to land at? You know, what's going to happen to you? Apathy. Uh, I just don't feel like it today. Somebody else will do it for me. You know, I, I really, I feel God calling me to, to work in, in the children's ministry, but somebody else will do it. It'll be okay. You know, I, I, I just can't do that right now. Lack of confidence. I don't know enough scripture. I, there's no way possible. I'm still learning myself. There's no way I can teach somebody else. There's no way I can do anything for God. I just don't know enough yet. Sin. There's things that are keeping you away from your relationship with the, with the Heavenly Father because you have sin in your life. Lack of popularity. This is becoming one more and more every day. Christianity is not as popular as it used to be. Y'all realize that, don't you? I think anybody that's a Christian has, has seen and experienced this now, especially in our country. A Christian used to be revered as a moral good person. Do you think that's true anymore? There's been so many scandals among Christians and everything else that we're not as Christianity is not popular, and, and Satan is, is working hard to make sure that our reputation as a church stays tarnished, if he can, because he doesn't want to see people come to Christ. And finally, the biggest danger is it's hard. It's hard. How many of you ever quit hard things? It's easy to do. It's hard. Yeah, I was, I was looking at a, a thing on Facebook the other night. One of my cousins was playing guitar, and my other cousin, Carol, was saying, Gosh, I wish we'd Uncle Bruce had tried to teach me. I hadn't quit taking lessons for him, but it was hard, and I didn't want to do it at the time. You know, that's one of the things. It's hard to learn to play an instrument. It's hard to do a lot of things well. And sometimes if it gets too hard, we just quit. Anybody ever quit playing golf? Surely there's somebody here who used to play golf. Somebody's quit. That, I didn't even start because I said, that's supposed to be relaxing, and that's going to make me so mad. I'm going to be, I'll be in an ill mood every time I come home because I'm not going to be the next, you know, Tiger Woods. And I want to, if I want to do something, I want to do it well. I want to win. How many of you like winning? I like winning. Yeah, winning's good. And if it's going to be hard, I might not win. So I don't want to do something that's hard if you can't win, right? Kind of a bad attitude to have, but that's what, that's how we're wired as humans. If it's hard, we may not win at it. We may not even want to do it. But Ephesians 3, 17 says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Is it easier to do hard things when you're weak or strong? How many weak athletes have you ever seen succeed? Doesn't happen, does it? You have to train. You have to, you have to get stronger. You have to have your roots and your strength training and things. You know, that's the reason I can see there is not a college team champion from the decades where I was in college that could compete probably against some high schools these days because of the strength training and the things that they've learned about competition and how strong they've gotten and things and how they're rooted in that strength. Now, we talked a minute ago about our strength is in God. So we need to, after we've gotten those basics, we need to start beginning to learn about more things because developing deep spiritual roots will keep us strong during hard times. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we need. Uh, how many of you learn by example? Somebody else showing you how to do something. And that's where I want to finish up this. And hey, I'm not like Mark when I say I'm, I'm finishing up. This we had a this this is an actual poll on, on Journey's website this week. Well, I, I'm I'm closing up. Well, I've got a few points now. This may take me a few minutes to get through these, but this is the last section of the sermon, and to me, this is the most important part of the sermon. So, uh, don't check out just yet. But it's the application. It's what we're going to do with this. You know, what is a disciple? I think that some terms we might be more familiar with this day is a mentor or an advisor. Right? Anybody ever been through an apprenticeship program? Yeah, we got the trade schools are big in apprenticeship. You go in, you want to be a plumber. You want to be an electrician. You want to be a carpenter. Uh, you want to be a boiler maker. You want to do a, be a welder. You go into the trade schools and a mentor will teach you as an apprentice how to do these things. They will let you participate in the work and begin to do things. And you'll begin to grow in the knowledge that they have. They're passing down to you, right? Uh, internships. You see interns in the, in the medical field. We also heavily use interns in the business world these days. You can get an internship. You want to be a web developer? Maybe Mark will let you intern with him. He will teach you some of the things. You want to do a computer infrastructure? Come hang out with me at work one day. I'll be glad to show you what we do. We have interns that come in and we, we work them for a semester at a time and just and it's a great process because it helps us with a little bit of workload, but more importantly, we're investing in the next generation of people that want to come up and do what we're doing. So it's a it's a win win for everybody. So you know we use the term intern, apprentice, disciple is the spiritual term we use. But uh, one that I've become very familiar with lately is um, the field training officer. Um, in, in the police world, which is where I'm doing a lot of ministry now, I'm a chaplain for the Saudi Daisy Police Department, so I'm seeing a lot of the inner workings of how our department works and things. But you have a field training officer, and that field training officer, you shadow him or he shadows you uh, as you progress through your training for a month to eight weeks, depending on whether you're just out of the academy or if you're coming to our department for another agency. That field training officer teaches you the ropes. He shows you what to do in different situations based on his life experiences. He can say, you know, when I pulled over a car one night, I did such and such, and it almost got me killed. You don't need to do this. Let me let me show you, and I'm going to show you exactly why. Here's the here's the proper technique to use in this. Or, you know, here's the radio uh, etiquette we use. Here's how we use our, our, our police radio, and this is the call signs we use and the things we use. So, you know, you teach them about the radio. You, know, you teach them about traffic stops. You teach them how to stand. 
They teach you how to stand at a traffic stop and not to be right up in the window or maybe even go around to the passenger side of the car. Uh, They teach you that domestic disturbances are very dangerous because two spouses can be fighting and then one of them turn on you and you need to be aware of that. So there's all these things they're teaching from their experience. So why don't we do that? You know, think of some famous examples of mentors and their apprentices. Um, Thought of several. This is an old school one. How many of you remember the Karate Kid movie? Lots of people remember that. And you've got the new Karate Kid um, on streaming. Mr. Miyagi, what did he teach you to do? Wax on, wax off. Wax and Daniel's, what, what, what does this mean? I don't understand. But later he found out how that worked in a skill set that he needed because his mentor knew more than he did and was teaching him something. Uh, Star Wars fans, Jeremy, have we got any, any Star Wars mentors and apprentices? Obi-Wan and Anakin, that one didn't work out so well. Not so good. Uh, Yoda and Luke, yeah, Luke's okay. Okay, Luke and Ray, so far that appears to be the most successful one, as Luke imparted some of his, his uh, knowledge to Ray in the Star Wars series. Um, I'm thinking of another, how many are Andy Griffith fans? Some of you older folks, yeah, everybody likes Andy Griffith. And I thought of this one this morning, and it's not an obvious one. Do you know what it is from Andy Griffith? Anybody guess? I don't think anybody will get this. Wally and Goober. Wally owned the filling station. And if you watch, if you watch, Wally, if you watch early episodes, there's an episode where they tell, they're talking about Goober and getting the carpet. And Goober says, all I do is pump gas. All I can do is pump gas. He didn't know how to do anything. By the end of the series, Goober can take your car and disassemble it and put it inside the courthouse. And everybody is asking for his advice because there was a mentorship and he learned and he matured as he went along. But here's my favorite one. And it's from a movie that was released in 2022. To me, if I want somebody to mentor me, I want him to be like this. Do you know who it is? Jeremy, have you got a music clip for us? Okay, Jeremy, play our music. If you were a fighter pilot, don't you want Maverick to be your coach? He is the best of the best, right? He has life experience. And in the new movie, Top Gun Maverick, do you know what was so important in that movie? It wasn't that he was a great pilot and things, that he was a great leader. It was his experience. He was one of the few people to have had combat experience and to go against an enemy. So he was the mentor you wanted because why? He had been there and done it ahead of you. And he had something he could teach you. Now, so like I think my sermons would be 20% better if we played that music every time I came out. Because that's just inspiring. You know, you go, you go to the danger zone. You know, that's, a, that's an inspiring thing. But that, that's the type of mentorship we want to do. So how do you begin to walk as a mature disciple? You find someone willing to disciple you and find someone you can disciple. It's a two-part thing, guys. You can't always be a follower. You have to be a leader as well. To be a true disciple of Christ, you have to see both sides of this coin. You've got to be able to be taught and led by somebody that maybe has more experience, more spiritually mature, will show you the ropes. And as you learn things, you know what? You can start teaching the basics. Because you know the basics. If you're a disciple, you know the basics. I don't have to teach them to you. You know those things. 
You can go over here and kid mode and you can do that. If we have someone that comes into our church and say, I don't know about Jesus very much. You can help them. You can sit down with them, show them in scripture. Here's what I know about Jesus. Now, you may not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Mark doesn't have all the answers. But you know where to start the process. And you need to find someone that can disciple you and help you to grow further. There is always someone further ahead and further behind on the path of discipleship. This long path that we're all on, think of it like a like a, one of the five Ks or something. There's somebody that's sprinting out front here and has learned a lot more than us. And there's some of us back here that can barely walk. We're taking the baby steps. But we all need to improve, and we need to rely on that foundation that we've had in Christ. And, uh, and the last thing I want to talk about here is from a book that I read years ago, and it was by Ted Haggard, who later had some problems, just like many Christian leaders. He uh, he didn't keep guard over some things. He had some sexual sin and things that crept into his life that caused problems. But it doesn't discount the things that God showed him in his in his career and in his path of writing books and teaching. And this book was called Dog Training, Fly Fishing, and Sharing Christ. A tremendous book because it talks about doing life together. And as we start talking about discipleship and small groups, I want this to be something you think about, is ways that we can do life together besides coming together on Sunday morning. We need to be involved with each other, involved in our community. We need to be doing things outside of the Sunday morning worship experience. So this is kind of like a family reunion when we get back together here. This is like, oh man, how'd your week go? This We did this and that. And man, that was cool what we did together last Thursday, man. I wish we could do that more often. And we, we can get together and we can start talking about these things and we can do life together by, you know, in some ways we can group things or by age, goals, projects, your personality, um, common needs are ways we can build discipleship together, like like uh, finances, parenting, you know, elder care. So many things that we face challenges in. We can build discipleship groups around anything. Have y'all ever thought that? It doesn't have to be, well, okay, this week I'm going to build a discipleship group and we're going to study the book of John from, and we're going to go from verse by verse and we're going to do, if that's what you want to do, that's great. If you got people that come up, what if you said, hey, I'd like to. I'd like for somebody to teach me more about how to manage my finances in a godly way. That's a discipleship group. You can talk about finances. You know, my kids are driving me crazy. That's a discipleship group. You can talk for, to a parent that's been there and say, "Hey, I had teenagers. This is what happened in our house. We can we can work through this." What it is is this discipleship is applying godly principles to everyday life, right? Godly principles to everyday life and doing life together. And that's what I want us to get out of this as we go through and start doing these discipleship meetings here in just a short number of weeks. Uh, we're going to get these together because there was a lot of interest in that and some other groups. And we're going to start talking about that. And we need your help in coming up with practical ways to do discipleship, ways that you would enjoy doing discipleship. If you've got some special interest, you know, um, and you want to get together and talk about, uh, Jeremy and I, we could get together and talk NASCAR and Star Wars and have a discipleship group. That's our common interest, but we're going to talk about Jesus in it. You know, you, it's important to get in with a bunch of people you feel comfortable with and you start sharing life together. You know, even you notice Jesus was closer to some of his disciples than others, the apostles. Do you remember that? There were three that were the dearest to him, and he invested the most in them because they clicked. 
And Jesus clicked with them. He invested in them. And they knew what was going on. And he, he invested with the, in those even more than others. So that's part of this as well. You know, and, and I'll just close out by saying, you know, one of the things now that I'm doing is this um, police chaplain's experience. So I hadn't done this before. It's been something that's been on my heart to do for a number of years. And it's difficult to get launched in a local police department that doesn't have it. I could have gone to Hamilton County, which I live in Hamilton County. I work in Chattanooga. But that's not my community. I didn't feel right there. There were some things in their programs that, that didn't match my personality and what I felt like I wanted to do. And it came together that through the one of the commissioners in Saudi Days, this is a Christian man, our uh, police chief's a Christian man. And I had approached him again about it, and it just clicked this time. And God opened doors everywhere that I could go in, uh, me and another gentleman could become police chaplains. Now, it's not what many would think. They've had uh, pastors in the past that have tried to do that and failed miserably because all they wanted to do was get in a police car and preach to somebody. Tell, well, you were in church, weren't in church Sunday? Well, you're going to hell. You might want to fix that in case you get shot tonight. That was their attitude. That's how pastors, they didn't understand. What we do is we go, we absorb their culture, we learn their lingo, and we become friends with them. We're just there. If you need us, you need to talk to us. It's as simple as that. We're there for people that need us when they need us. Do you think you can do that if you don't have a relationship with people? No. That's the reason I enjoy going out once or twice a week, riding along with the officers in their cars, and we just talk life. We talk life. You know what their biggest concerns usually are? It's not, I'm afraid I'm going to get shot, or, you know, I, I really wish we could get all these drug dealers off this off, off the streets. You know what their biggest topics are? Man, working second shift's hard on me. I don't get to see my wife and kids, and I really wish I could do that more. You know, I get off work on third, and, man, I, I, I can catch a nap, and my boys' ball game's at 8 o'clock, and I really want to go to that, but, man, it's going to be hard today. It's the same problems we all face. It's just a little different wrapping on it culturally, so... That's what I'm doing. That's one of the things that I have found is, is really enabled me to do some ministry that, that I'm enjoying because um, God has equipped me for it. It's something I understand and he has equipped me for, and I love it. I love doing it. I love working with those officers and, and getting to know them and understanding their problems and stuff. That's the way discipleship works. But I have to look to mentors that have been there and done something similar to me. Uh, uh, some of y'all may remember a couple of years ago, we had Paul Lee uh, from the Fellowship of Christian Police Officers came and spoke at our church. I leaned on Paul and asked Paul, hey, you've been here. What should I do? Are there things I should do and shouldn't do? And he's given me pointers of things that work in that culture and things that don't. And that's as simple as it is, is a mentorship and an apprenticeship relationship. And I want to be able to later bring somebody else into our department. As I age out of being able to do this at some point in time, I want to be able to bring somebody else in behind me and teach them what I've learned and let them minister then. And that's the simple model of discipleship. And that's the way it works in the real world, guys. It's not complicated. You know, it's not a difficult thing. It's just we've got, to, we've got to do it. We've got to quit taking baby steps and make the leap of faith. And let's all participate in discipleship in one way or another. doesn't have to be a formal group here at Journey. Uh, Ken and Keith, I know there's going to be discipleship involved in that process, going down and working in Florida. And they have, they have chaplains that go down and serve the people that are serving. I mean, there's things that go on behind things. You have no idea the spiritual battles that go on in all of this. 
But you can do physical things to help people, financial needs, service, discipleship. It all wraps together simply in doing life together and doing it for Christ is what it amounts to. So let's close with that thought.